are back for another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the writers, directors, actors, cinematographers, production designers, animators, costume designers, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, authors, composers, even some choreographers on occasion. We talk to them all on tent poles and my beloved little indie darlings. So, and today it's all about the love for Valentine's Day. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day, and we have two films today we're going to talk about. Uh, and a wonderful guest joining us at the midpoint of the show, J.R. Rodriguez. Um, Number one, we're going to talk about a new Netflix um, animated series that just dropped. My dog, my dad, the Bounty Hunter, and then J.R. Rodriguez is going to join us at the midpoint of the show live to talk about his film, uh, where he makes his feature directorial. Remember yesterday, and may I just point out today is World Radio Day, people. Uh, so, very, 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 very proud to be part of the medium, uh, as, as we are here every Monday on AdrenalineRadio.com, uh, in radio form, and then thereafter in podcast form, all of which is now lumped under World Radio Day. So, that's pretty cool. Um, now, without any further ado, let's jump right in here. We're going to talk about first my dad, the bounty hunter. I uh, last week, uh, it was a fifty-minute interview. It's I've had to edit it down for the show's purposes. Uh, speaking with Everett Downing and Patrick Harpin, the co-creators and writers, and even directors, co-creators and writers of my dad, the bounty hunter, uh, and they also directed an episode or two, and they voice. Two of the characters uh, in the series. Uh, this series is... I can't remember the last time I have seen an animated series that is this much fun. And so well done. This is a tale of brother and sister, Lisa and Sean. Lisa, of course, is the older sister. Uh, and Sean, you know, younger brother. All, all you older sisters out there, you'll relate to this. Trust me. Uh, and... Their parents are separated. They live with their mom. They visit with their dad on the weekends. And he works a lot. Um, and dad gets them for one weekend. But then he gets a call. He has to go to work. And he has to leave the kids. Gets grandma to come over. And watch them while he goes to work. But, you know, a lot of grandmas, being what they are, they're not paying attention to you. Because grandchildren are always angels in their eyes. Trust me. I know. Um, but Lisa and Sean sneak off and hide in the trunk of their dad's car so they can go to work with dad. Nobody told them it wasn't go to work, take your kids to work day. But when they wake up, get out of the, out of the car, where do they find themselves? On a spaceship. And they quickly discover that their dad, Terry, is the toughest bounty hunter in the galaxy. Uh, Sabo Brock. 
and the adventure just takes off from there. There are wonderful themes throughout the series of brother and sister. Of course, there's sibling rivalry, but there's also appreciating each other as siblings, finding your inner strength, working together, um, bonding with dad, dad bonding with the kids, and a lot of societal commentary as well, especially when we get to about getting along with different people, getting along with others. Uh, we've got a great assortment of aliens. By episode five, you're going to fall in love. Episode five is called Chilean Five, the Chillas. Episode six follows through on the Chilla story with Rise of the Chillas. Cutest little creatures. Cutest little creatures. And they do. They look, they're like multicolored chinchillas living on a planet that is cotton candy colored. Uh, but it has a dark secret to it. Uh, we go around the galaxy. We find out planets have convenience stores like 7-Eleven and Wawa that are run by robots. And we meet a robot named Carl that is very C-3PO. We meet other creatures that look like porgs from Star Wars, but with mustaches. Um, there are all kinds of nods to Everett and Patrick's favorite films. It's very, very clear. Uh, and it just... You can't stop watching. I will admit to you that I didn't know that Netflix had given me access to all 10 episodes. I didn't know there were 10 episodes. I thought, okay, it's a couple of episodes so I could interview Everett and Patrick last week. So at 11.45 at night, I started watching. Then I re And it keeps going. Next episode, next episode. I was so invested. After episode one, I just kept watching till 5 o'clock in the morning. Non-stop. I am so in love with this series. I'm ready for season two already. And yes, over the weekend, I actually started re-watching some of the episodes again. Because they transport you, they entertain you, and they make you feel good. So, and we're going to be breaking this interview up uh, into two parts. Part of it now in the first half of the show. Then when JR joins us, we're going to talk about his film, Remember Yesterday, which is a sweet and charming film that comes out tomorrow. Perfect for Valentine's Day. And then we'll end the show undoubtedly late, as usual. You know me. Um, with the back half of my interview with Everett and Patrick. So let's get started. As we learn about my dad, the bounty hunter, and my interview with Everett Downing and Patrick Harpin. Hi, Patrick. Awesome. Hi, Debbie. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I just can't wait for Everett to get on because I am so in love with this series. I'm ready for season two. Hey, I like that. Let's, hey, spread the word because that's, uh, that's, that's an amazing review. I am ready for season two already. I started watching last night. I didn't realize it was 10 episodes and that Netflix was providing all 10 episodes oh. for me to see. And I started about midnight watching, so it'd be fresh in my mind today. And I was still up at five in the morning watching. I just kept going and going, and I could not oh. stop watching. 
Wow, that that is a huge that's a huge compliment for us because that I mean that's what we wanted it to be. We don't we don't want this thing to be bloated and like have tons of filler. It's like no, we I, we want TV that just moves. You know, um, don't don't waste people's time. You know what I mean? So that if you stayed up all night, I'm, I guess I'm sorry we did that to you, but I'm not sorry. Um, no, that that's amazing to hear. I'm so I'm so glad it. it it's intended to be watched by adults too. Like it's like we're doing what we think is what we think is funny. You know, the entire crew making it. Um, so that's that's really awesome to hear. And it is funny because also when you see Lisa and Sean and some of their antics, you immediately if you have siblings, right away you're there. You relate. You remember. <laughs> you remember every bit of torment. Yeah, totally. But, so I mean, it is very very resonant. Whether you're a kid, whether you're a parent, whether you're just a, a, a childless adult. I'm here. I'm here. Yes. I, I reversed a couple numbers. So, uh, <laughs> well, all right. We got you. We're just, we're just hearing a glowing review of the show. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. No, I, I, told, I told Patrick already, Everett, I want season two. I'm ready for it right now. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> We'll see what we can Take do. Care. We'll see if we can deliver that. <laughs> this, I mean, this show is so much fun. I binged all ten shows all at one time, and uh, oh, that's amazing. That's that's what we like to hear. And I want to go back and all. I know I'm going to go back and watch it all again. Oh, wow! Because there's there's so much to see and appreciate in this show, guys. You don't dumb down to kids. You don't insult the intelligence of adults, not that many of us have any intelligence, but, you know. Um, so you find that perfect sweet spot for story, character, and dialogue. And you run with that. And obviously Star Wars was a big influence here, boys. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. You know, we we got, we got a diverse list of influences, but, but yes, you're not wrong. <laughs> yes, Star Wars, a big visual element here. We have little little bugs that, that look like porgs with mustaches, and we have our own version of an Imperial cruiser, and we have the incredible, the, the corporation, we have the face of the corporation that is bears a striking resemblance to the emperor. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. The emperor. The emperor, Pal the emperor Palpatine. Palpatine. Yeah, yeah. Someone else thought he looked like uh, Gavin Newsom, which we didn't did not yeah. intend. No, I don't. I don't see that. I don't see that. <laughs> but this is a full. We were, we were going for uh, uh, Blade Runner for um, Rooker Howard's character. Oh please. Right. And then, and then you have the best part of the entire series, dare I say it, Chilla's. Chilla's rule, boys. Yes, don't mess with Chilla's. And Netflix is missing out if they don't do Chilla merchandising. I, I mean, listen, from your, from your lips to their ears, tell them. I want a Chilla. Uh, in the choir. <laughs> I want a, I want a chilla. We, we all do. See? Oh, I know. We're with you. 
I've got to ask you guys, where did this begin for the two of you? Did you sit down at breakfast one day, call each other up and say, hey, what if, what if we do this? What if we take some cool creatures? What if we have a family with an, an older sister who's too smart for her own good and loves gambling and would probably do really well in Las Vegas and a younger brother who's really into gaming? How did this come to be? I don't think a breakfast of cornflakes or Wheaties was part of it. I mean, well, you're I not fun. that far off. That's <laughs> coffee, yeah. Coffee, yep, that's what we've got over. Um, Pat and I actually met while working over at like, Sony Pictures Animation, and we were both like uh, working in, uh, together on a story on the Emoji Movie, and you know we both kind of like been in, in feature animation for a long time, and we would just kind of meet over co coffee and just sort of like lament about like we weren't really working on the type of movies that we were super excited about working on, and we just started talking about like well you know what is it what 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 would we want to do what would we want to work on? Yeah, and it, it we were also talking it. It's a lot of our lives, you know, pulled, we kind of pulled from that where, you know, we were talking about, you know, my dad has always said to me, like, Patrick, if you do a thing about a dad, can you please not make him an idiot? Can you just make the guy, like, be trying to, you know, be a good dad? And I was like, all right, like, I'll noted. And, you know, we were kind of talking about, you know, I had the kid POV because I was always, me and my sister would always go with my dad to work. He would always get his white work van, and we didn't. He, if we didn't have, they didn't want to pay a babysitter. He's like, "All right, guys, you're working with me today," and we like loved it. Me and my sister, we were like all about it, and but it was like you know, it was kind of pulling from like seeing the world through your dad's eyes, and like even as I got older, learning more about him. Where I was like, "Wait, you were a bouncer for a long time? Like, like wait, you were hired? Like you were hired muscle a couple times? Like you never told me about that?" And he was like, "Oh well." You know, so, like, that's kind of the stuff I was pulling from. And then, Ev, you know, you were kind of going through it on the parent POV. Yeah, I mean, I was, I've been working in animation for, like, you know, for, for a long time, just grinding in the story department. Uh, but my, my daughters, I, I had two daughters, and they were kind of at this golden age. It was ages between, like, 5 and 10. And, and, you know, I was feeling like I wasn't getting a lot of time to spend with them. I was missing out on this valuable bonding time. Um, but, you know, feeling like kind of justifying it to myself, like I'm doing this because, you know, I want my daughter to have a good life. But then like feeling like, oh, but I, I feel like I'm missing out on this, like this precious time. Like, like it's so hard to get back. So we kind of took those two ideas and we kind of mashed them together. Cause we felt like that. I mean, that we felt like this is really going to speak to people. I think, I think everyone can kind of relate to these, to these, um, these issues. Well, absolutely. And that's one of the great things here. And, the characters all go on a journey. We have the older sister, younger brother, and you showcase the talents of each in their own light, which I really love because it's not just, you know, it's not like you have an older sibling constantly putting down the younger sibling and nobody, get, their light doesn't shine from under a bushel. Here, you see where each learns to appreciate the strength of the other one. And at this, by the same token, it's, okay, Dad may not be totally terrible, but, yeah, there are moments when Dad is totally terrible and he doesn't get me, which is interesting because right. normally with the daughter, it's Mom doesn't get me. Yeah. Yep. But you, you 
did a little twist there, which I really enjoyed. I like that. Oh, well, because you've the really got. Thing where she, you know, she dad was she was missing that time with dad. Like she just felt like I don't even know this guy, um, and we we know, like at some point she like worshipped him at some point, and he just kind of because he wasn't there, like he lost that 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 spark. And, and that was also that also I witnessed my sister and my dad go at it. Many times, <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, oh, oh, it's, I, it can, it's, it's realistic. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I've been at Ground Zero. Let me tell you. Exactly. I was, I'm the, I'm the older sibling, but I've also been the Sean watching Cops Across Fire. Um, <laughs> that was really important to us to like make that feel grounded. You really do, and the fact that we learn little things. How Lisa got so good at gambling and cards. Yeah, yeah. You have all these little things and memories that people forget. You forget about it, be it you, be you the child or the parent. You forget about that influence and where it came from to help shape you. And 100%. you really touch on those little things, just like Sean with his, you know, gaming obsession. But that gaming obsession, that is this new generation. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. Parents may not get it, but that comes in handy. Was it challenging for you to keep building and introducing all these little things as you're building this story? Because you never let us forget the heart of the film, which is a family. But once we knew, like, the family was at the center, like, we, like, this is the story, right? Like, like in a way, all the stuff that happens around it, like, all the space stuff, it's it's fun and it's really great, but, like, unless that, that core story that's at the center, if that doesn't work, we kind of don't care about, like, all the space stuff that's surrounding it. So for us, like, if we, we just said, like, hey, let's stay true to this story, um, and it kind of tells it like the story kind of tells itself it kind of tells you what it needs what needs to happen mm-hmm. it was i will say though it, it was you know our writer's room was really stacked um our yeah. story editor justin gordon really worked with us to kind of you know it to me it, it, it it's the it's the thing of right if you if you don't care about the humans in a sci-fi story it doesn't matter they're the right. thing that they're the thing you're anchored to and for me like my fear when they when we went from because we originally pitched it as a feature and then they're like could you do it as a series and i was a little worried about that honestly because i i've seen a lot of shows where it's kind of like five pounds of story in a 10 pound sack mm-hmm. you know where it's it feels stretched and padded and as a viewer i like hate that <laughs> and so but it was like well actually with this story if, if the external and internal conflicts line up, you actually can do a really packed story for 10 episodes and hopefully Absolutely. no one feels like there was a minute wasted. It's like, it was like the hope. Um, well, this really, it's very akin to the original Lost in Space TV series. It's a family and they're out there in the galaxy and they don't know where they are because Dr. Smith threw them off course and here... They're out in the galaxy. They don't have the little warp pods to get them back. And it's all about the family, and you meet these creatures, and you enter these worlds. 
And yeah. these worlds are so incredible, guys. I, number one, oh, I love I love the convenience store, and Robot Carl <laughs> is phenomenal. Very, very much a C-3PO out of his element. Um, <laughs> but you tackle everything that a kid would be hitting in a 7-Eleven mm-hmm. or a Wawa. Yeah. You, you hit it all. Right down to brain freeze, even in a robot. <laughs> you take us to Polga, a scrap part, scrap metal planet. And of course, Chilean 5, which is the high point. I mean, it's episodes five and six, primarily, and you introduce a whole new color palette there. Mm-hmm. The lovable characters. This is where you make your great societal comment mm-hmm. about the world is on Chilean Five, which begs the question about introducing common societal commentary like that, not just family dynamics, but commentary on the world as a whole because I thought that was so powerful and to have it framed within these cute adorable chillas ah, <laughs> perfection <laughs> well you yeah. know that that was something that it to, to me like you know that joke for us is it's darkly comic right yeah it's darkly comic but there's the truth is in there with the joke and it's like in a way to me where it's it's not a bummer. It's not a downer. It's like, oh my god, that's so dark, but I'm laughing. Like that's where it's like you're, it's get it, but you're not having them watch like, you know, uh, you know, they're not. It's not the same as them watching like the Harkonnens in Dune or something. You right. know, it's right. like they can. It's 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 talking to them on their level about something that they very much adults have to ask themselves these same questions. <laughs> Well, and what I loved about it, and hopefully classic film fans will watch this series, but right away, where we see the reveal of the of Chilean Five, it goes right back to H.G. Wells and the Time Machine and the Morlocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you yeah. pull right yeah. from there. We've got chase sequences going through all these underground tunnels that look exactly like out of the Kingsman. Yeah. Everywhere you've got these great touchstones, which begs the question from the visuals, how involved were you with the visuals, with the actual animation? Because this is so key, just one frame, and I'm like right in a moment, a cinematic moment. I mean, can I just say, we are the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So many people, so many people poured their heart and soul into making the show as cinematic and as beautiful as it is. Like, Ev, if you want to kind of touch on some of that. Yeah, I mean, we have, like, a really amazing um, art team that we pulled from, like, all over the industry. You know, um, Yuki Demers was our production designer. He came to us straight out of Sony, off the Spider-Verse, uh, into the Spider-Verse. Um, Alex Honstadt, who's one of our art directors, came right off of like you know Mitchell's version of machine and these guys came in and we sort of like gave them the download and like these are like deeply creative individuals that like really helped us like nail this look and like nail the, 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 the feel like like Yuki is like a geek for like you know just color and in you know how that relates to the story so like he's really 
you know, like he's not just sitting painting a painting like, oh, this would be nice here. He's thinking about the, the, the arc of the story that we're telling and, you know, thinking like, oh, in this moment, in, in this episode, in this moment, like this is the color that we could use to really highlight this idea of despair or whatever. These are the kind of conversations that we're getting in with our art guys. It's just, and it's just the, gosh. Yeah, and, you know, we're coming to it from a story angle of like, yup, this person could have a ship like that, that checks out with their character, but we really tried to let the art team sort of let them off the off the leash a little bit and, and try to do stuff that they normally couldn't do on most features, because um, most of us come from features, and that also our supervising director, Kenji Ono, and our episodic directors, everybody has the same mission of like, we are gonna make this feel so cinematic and serve serve these moments in the way that we would in a movie. Mm. And everybody had that same mission. There's a lot of stuff in this show that comes from people's, you know, a lot of stuff that we did not even put in that they added that contributes to this thing that feels really rich mm -hmm. um, because everybody had, everybody had the same mission of like, let's make this feel like a movie even if we don't have a movie budget. Mm -hmm. Let me ask you, did because you've got dis there are distinct color shifts in here, and they are, it all has to do with the visual tonal bandwidth and what that's telling us, such as we go from the darker and the more grays and the metal-y looks of uh, Terry and the kids on Terry's ship versus mm -hmm. the bright cotton candy-colored world of the Chillis. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, once color and art was coming into play did that change any of the dialogue or the story structure at all because of the tone it, that the color generates i would say it actually didn't because it, 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 it actually supported that like you know like uh yuki and our team were like they're reading the script they're watching like the story the story pitches and the animatics and their, their, their whole job is to support that moment, you know. But, you know, we also did the initial planning where it's like, this is where cause we had the outline for the, for the series. In this moment, this is what we're going for, that feeling. So they're with us to help plan um, those moments. Yeah, and they, did, they, they and their art teams did color scripts for every episode like you would on a feature, which you normally can't really, can't really do that stuff usually in this lane we're in, but they did it just like they would a feature. And and it, and that's where you catch that stuff where it's like, you know, where it's like, hey, this pink, this purple lighting here is really beautiful, but this is a moment where someone's saying like, you know, like, I don't love you. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So it's like, right. you it's like a want, those colors are saying something different. So like, let's, let's desaturate the colors in that scene. And so it's like, you're kind of like, putting them all in sync and that's those guys are really good at that and they really they track the story emotionally with the colors and the visuals color works so beautifully with the emotional we art we also have to we have to shout out dwarf animation this, this they are the french animation studio that did all of the animation we did wow. the pre-production and everything on our side but they are artisans over there and they 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 so over delivered on this show. It's crazy how good it looks. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm in love with the color, and also the geometry. Love that. The geometry within each of the worlds. Each one is tweaked a little differently. Each planet. Totally. 
yeah. a little different. Not only is there a different color, which then extends into the emotional beats, but also the shapes themselves. Mm-hmm. Everything on Chilean 5, it's soft, it's rounded, plants, the leaves are rounded. There aren't any hard edges. Mm-hmm. Whereas we go yeah. to Polga, and everything there, it's metal, it's, it's mm-hmm. hard. So that just works so, so well. I'm just so in love and beyond impressed with all of these awesome. individual elements. Now, I'm curious. Yeah, you're making it feel really good right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like I, I want this all in writing. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm curious. How involved were you with the, vo- with the voice casting? Because, I mean, granted, I will admit... Two of my favorite voices are Krill and Bog Dog. Yes. You know? Yes. But, of course, my ultimate favorite here is you guys got Leslie Uggams to voice Grandma. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. She was so fun to work with and, like, just, like, you know really excited about the whole project and like I remember when we finished she's like that's it there's not more and we're like oh we gotta make we gotta write more grandma stuff for you she was so good oh I mean the attitude you know, that, that know she infuses was not a joy to work with though Krill he was a total ah. diva oh that guy that guy wow <laughs> Like, yeah. It's an honor just to be nominated. You, maybe you should be a little more selective in your voice casting next time. <laughs> I really, we really dropped the ball on him. And I was um, tickled. Laz Alonzo. Laz is perfect. I never would have thought of him Great. for the character of Terry and the alter ego of the bounty hunter of Sabo Brock. Never would have thought of Laz for that. And he's just yeah. perfect. And then Jamie. Well, Les, Les has that he's he's a warm guy. Yeah. But he also sounds like no, like don't push him, dude. He's gonna do something about it if you mess with him. Like he can, he he has he exudes that in his voice, and it's like it that was that if he does if he wasn't right, the whole show would work. And so no. Les really angers this. Yeah. Without that, and then without the kids, without Priya Ferguson, and without Jacoby Swan. Those two kids are amazing. They're great. Amazing. Yeah, like, they really are. Came in and just owned those roles. Like, this blew us away. Was it difficult? And we're going to take a break in my exclusive interview with Everett Downing and Patrick Harpin, my dad, the bounty hunter. And we're going to switch gears here for our live guest, uh, J.R. Ferguson. We're going to come back to, don't panic, we're going to come back to the rest of my interview with Everett and Patrick uh, at the end of the show today. There's about 10 minutes more that you're going to get to hear. But, all right, now i got to switch. Find all my papers here. i got papers everywhere. But now, a very big hello and welcome to J.R. Rodriguez. Hi, J.R. Hi, how are you doing? How are things out west? Uh, things out west are fine. Where are you right now, back east? Uh, I'm in uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, out in my backyard. And how is the weather there? Uh, it's about 65, a nice gentle breeze and a lot of sunshine. How gorgeous. How yeah. gorgeous. 
I think the temperature yeah. is pretty comparable out here right now. Um, but I'm inside, so I don't get the sunshine right. or the gentle breeze. Um, right. I understand. No, I get it. I, <laughs> but I do like Los Angeles, so. Well, something that I like is your directorial debut, Remember Yesterday. Oh, thank you. This is such, is, it's a sweet film. It's very well, sweet. There's a bit of poignancy to it. And it boils down to, you know, it's never too late for love. Love of another person, love of yourself, love of work, love of your dreams. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. You know, I, I, um, I, I spent a whole lifetime basically talking about I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then I would order another drink and then pass out and not worry about it. So I'm kind of a late bloomer. I didn't get started until, you know, I'm like 40. I've been an actor my whole life. But as far as actually pursuing making movies, I didn't start until I was 46. And this is the first one. So, Wow. Did you find it daunting or have trepidation about jumping into writing and directing your first feature? Uh, as far as writing, no. I mean, the writing, I, you know, I used to do that with summer stock because you can't drink during the day. <laughs> so, like, when I didn't have to rehearse, I would write. You know, I've, I've written five or six different scripts. Um, but as far as the making of the movie, it's... I, it's that whole, you know, we're an hour and a half away from uh, uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, mm -hmm. and the motto of the 82nd Airborne is courage is something that you're terrified of, but you do it anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was scared to death. I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you, but I had such an incredible supporting group, you know, starting with our producer, John Landau, but even the actors, it was never, it was never a struggle to get them to work. They just, they, they came, they had a job to do, and they fell in love with what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, some, um, that's something that adds to the charm of Remember Yesterday, because you shot this on location right there in Wilmington. So mm -hmm. we get that small town feel. You know, everybody knows everybody. You walk down Main Street, you've got little coffee shops, you've got a diner. Uh, you know, you have little theater companies. And for people that don't know, you get into some of these communities, on, especially on the East Coast, and there are tons of small repertory theater companies. Oh, and everywhere. Everywhere. Absolutely. Down south, up on the East Coast, suburban Philadelphia area. Um, yeah. And it's just spectacular. Uh, well, definitely up in New York. Sure. But it's oh, yeah. spectacular. So to see all of this play out for us on screen just adds to the charm of this story of remember oh, yesterday thank you so much uh that really spoke you know, to I, me I, i've heard from a lot of folks you know that my town is a is a character in the film and you know whatever this any other i was fortunate to have sean llewellyn and um john knutson as my directors of photography mm -hmm. they live here you know, they didn't come from somewhere else. This is their place. And so they made sure that the idea of making Wilmington important um, was important to them, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. It uh, makes perfect so, sense. So, like, we would, we would 
shoot this, you know, do we need B-roll? No, we don't need B-roll. What I need to do is I need to bring this up in the back and this. And so, I mean, those kind of conversations were incredible for me because, frankly, I didn't know how a movie was made. I just wanted to make a movie. Mm -hmm. But with John Landau, with Sean Llewellyn, with Marty Landau, um, and John Knutson, and and some of these other folks, they, they, they held my hand through the whole thing. They talked me through it. And the night that we wrapped, uh, John actually came over and put his arm around me. He's like, you made a movie. <laughs> you know, it was, it was, I'm like, wow, it's, it's really that easy if you have the money. We didn't have the money, but, you know. Well, this is why it's so important to have people like Sean and like John. And I have to, uh, you know, I have to tell you, Jr. Sean cinematography using so much natural light because yeah. it, you know n- people don't realize that the light actually changes depending on where you go in the world and within the United States and southern light is a very distinctive light i think in large part because of you've got the appalachians that come down uh, down into the the Chattahoochee National Park, you've got the ocean pushing uh, on the east side, so you get humidity in the air, and it does something with the sunlight as it filters through. Yeah, and this looks so beautiful. The ex- the day shots outside are so pretty. There, it's like a postcard. You just want to go oh. there. You know, it's kind of like this is what Mayberry would look like in color. Right. <laughs> um, you know, just small town charm. And then you've got wow. night scenes. And I'm curious, were you shooting night for night? Did you shoot? We were, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. the night sky, I mean, Sean got a really beautiful you know, inky blue, inky blue-black, leaning more towards the blue, which is really set off by the lights on the street, the lights outside the bar, um, the beautiful frontage of tails, that, you know, very pretty high-end piano bar. Um, Right. He makes the most of reflections in windows, at Tails, at the diner. I mean, just really beautifully lit and shot. What Sean wanted to do, it was so funny, what Sean wanted to do, he would talk to uh, John Landale and I, and he would talk and talk and stall and stall and stall and stall. And finally I'm like, dude, why are we talking so much and not shooting so much? It's like, the closer I can get to 2 a.m., the better off we're going to be. See? <laughs> that man knows the light of the area. Absolutely. He knows. It was, it was brilliant. And it, it comes through in the final product, Jr. So it's, It just does my heart so well. Thank you so much. You know, when you work with, with Sean and John uh, Knudsen and Landau again, you know, when Sean says, well, we're just going to keep talking until it gets closer to <laughs> X time. You just shut up. You just do it. Do it. Just grab another sandwich. It's going to be fine. Because on the flip side, (laughs) if if you're doing something 
where you really need that magic hour of like five, five o'clock mm-hmm. before the sun totally sets at dusk time. You know, same thing. Only there it might be shut up because we're going to lose light. Um, right. Absolutely. Oh, no. Absolutely. So, <laughs> it was, actually. <laughs> but I really, I love the visual tonal bandwidth, the lightness that we feel. Because some of the undercurrents that you have going within the story itself are heavy. They are, they are darker themes. One of yeah. which is, you know, alcohol use and abuse. Yeah. Uh, which we see play out with multiple people and how mm-hmm. that actually getting drunk, drunk off your ass um, really comes into play with the story of Jenny and John Raymond and particularly the character of Jenny, who's played by Jana Allen, um, because her whole life changed because she was a blithering drunk idiot one night and couldn't remember it. (laughs) And and it lasted for 25 years. Yeah. You know? Um, You know, that's a long blackout as to what what happened. It is. But you do a beautiful job of showing us how, and just because you screw up that one time, and, you know, number one, saying I'm sorry is always a good thing. Yeah. It might not be received at times, but it's always a good thing. But you really, that brings us into the whole idea of second chances and it never being too late. But you got to remember the past and learn from it. Wow, that's exactly what we were hoping for. <laughs> this is so great. Thank you so much. That's exactly what we were hoping for. I think we lose track of the human experience. I think we just I think nowadays for the most part we're just we're just zooming through life. If we just sit down and and, and take take stock of the human experience, I think we might be better off. Well, and you give us that with Remember Yesterday through the characters that you have created, that you give us. Um, you know, there. You know, Davy, the character of Davy, he is a perfect train wreck. Yeah. He is the train wreck uh, in the present, who, as we learn, was a train wreck in the past, too. Right. And, and dr- I mean, it was always that way. And drug a couple other people over. Mm-hmm. Uh, even Jenny's brother. Uh, yeah. In his own respect. Maybe not quite as bad. But, you know, he's got some life's wisdom that he does impart. But he needs to take some of his own, some of his own advice. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's my friend Rick Forrester. And we've done a lot of Shakespeare together, and that's that's what that character was. I was hoping for. I actually molded it around Rick um, because I was hoping for Shakespeare's fool. Mm. That's what I was hoping for. Well, I you think, know, I yeah, think you got he's it. Going to make some mistakes, but you know, but he but he still tries. Absolutely, and he does have something to say. Yeah, it's just you have to weed through. You know. He's drinking. And, you know, this is something that I found really interesting because so many writers, so many filmmakers um, probably would have taken this and thrown in, you know, 
taken us into AA meetings and things like that. But you don't do that. You don't get preachy here. You're not preaching. This is not an advertisement for Alcoholics no. Anonymous. No. Well, see, I didn't go. I, I just I saw myself in the mirror one morning, and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I, I, I respect everyone that goes to AA. I really do. But it, in, in my story, my personal story, I just, I can't, I'm killing myself. I was 46 years old, and I looked like I was much, much older. I was very heavy. And, um, you know, my life was just the same thing every day, drinking, 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 drinking. I was running a theater company. And I lost my job because I was drinking too much. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, I, it, it was my own story. And I wanted to quit. So I got lucky. I had great friends. And uh, I guess I had a pretty good willpower. Well, and this is one of the important things that we see unfold in Remember Yesterday. When Jenny is forced to face her past, when John Raymond is forced to face the past, and he finally gets the truth because he never bothered to ask, Right, uh, finds out what really happened that tore he and Jenny apart all those years ago. And he finds out it was an unknown person at the bar who actually helped Jenny. Right. But had John bothered to ask anybody 25 years ago what had happened or 20 years ago, um, Things might have been a little bit different for both of them, right? And that was that was the that's what I was hoping to say. You know, stop, stop, and think about what we're doing, where we're going, and what we are experiencing. If we can do that, I think we might be better off. Well, and this is where the idea of friends comes in. Uh, you're supporting players. Uh, granted, the core story is Jenny and John Raymond. Uh, right. But then you give us an incredible, one of the most endearing characters in the film, the character of Bear, played yeah. by Frackiswell Hyman. What yeah. a love. Uh, you just fall in love with that character. And similarly, a perfect fit with Bear is also Mirla Christie's Catherine. Yeah. Yeah. Merla is, uh, Merla's exceptionally special to me. We're just, we're kind of like the same spirit, but Kaz, I mean, Kaz had just moved here and I had seen him in something and I, I'm like, you ever done film? He's like, no, mostly I'm a writer. And he is, uh, he's an award-winning writer. And he read the script. He's like, I, have you cast this yet? I'm like, no, I want you to do it. And he said, yeah. So putting them together, their chemistry, they've worked, you know, a hundred times with each other since. Um, putting them together, we just stayed out of the way. They're the wonderful. They are wonderful. You see the scene after Catherine has, you know, quote unquote, injured her ankle and right. can't go on. She can still direct the, the show that's going to the, the community theater show that's going to be put on, but she can't perform. And right. to watch, you know, these characters, to watch Kaz and Merla plotting as Bear and Catherine, 
They are so in tune. It felt so unscripted. It was just, they're just picking up each other's beat. Yeah. And it was seamless. Every time you see the two of them. But there in the dressing room in the back was just, and it's hilarious. Because we're, (laughs) we're privy to what they're up to. Right. So we're in on the joke, but nobody else is. The only one that wasn't supposed to be was was Jenny. Yeah. But if you tell, but if you tell, you know, like if you tell Stephanie, it's going to get out. Yeah. So you can't tell Stephanie. But you know, th- um, but this is how small towns work too. It's like absolutely. If one person knows, everybody's going to know. And the two characters in the movie that aren't from the small town are Marla's character and Kaz's character. <laughs> So they're from out of town. They're, you know, they're not from there. Oh, my gosh. So, so they know to do that. Oh, my gosh. Well, I've got to ask, you know, once, you know, you get congratulated. Okay, you just made a movie. Final shot is done. Everything's breaking down. But then you've got another step you have to go through. Yeah. The next step, because there are a few more steps. But your next step is your editing process. Right. Talk to me about that experience of working with your editor, with Ryan Risley, and editing this film. Because you really have to find the balance of emotional beats here. Well, on the surface, I mean, I can say, you know, and I don't think I'm upsetting a whole lot of people, but um, we had three different uh, guys handling sound, Mm -hmm. which you have to do sometimes with an independent film. This went to Ryan, and Ryan's like, the sound is a train wreck. So, you know, it took two and a half years uh, for us to get it all cut and and what have you. Um, But Ryan, most of that time was Ryan spent on sound. Mm -hmm. He was very patient. He's very zen. And, you know, I would lose my mind. I would you know, I, I want it done. I want it done right now. You know, I was like a whining <laughs> little toddler or something. And he was like, I understand. We'll, we'll get something done. You know, we'll get, we'll get something done or whatever. And finally, I just gave up. I'm like, I just, I can't, I can't fight this anymore. If he has a question, I'll answer the question. I'll take a look at it, whatever they said. And, the other. and he finally, he, he, I woke up one morning and he says, JR, I have, uh, I have the rough cut. Uh, but we still got a lot of work to do. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll look at it. And I'm like, holy Christ, this is a movie. <laughs> I mean, it, it shocked me with what he had done to it. And so, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I've told everybody, I, the movie was made by John Landau and Ryan Risley. That's who made the movie. Um, because of Ryan's expertise, not only with editing, but... Um, working with sound because he wasn't a sound guy. He just started he started manipulating things with the sound. And we had to do some ADR stuff and mm-hmm. what have you. But he was like, we need to add things. There's got to be flavor in this. You know, it's a small town. It's got to sound like a small town. And I'm like, okay, great. I, I, do that. Once I saw the rough cut, I'm like, I will not say another word. Go ahead. <laughs> do what you got to do. Um and I did, and we sent it off uh, uh, to Florence, and he's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of nervous. He's like, don't be nervous. We're going to win. 
lo and behold, we won the festival. Wow. Um, and it, it shot his, he's not arrogant. Ryan is far from arrogant. He's just zen, man. <laughs> he, he's just like, hey, man, it's easy going, man. Let's just do this. Now, you know, once you get the editing, you've also got your color correction to worry about. And Ryan did all that. Ryan did the color correction, too. He did. He did all of post. Wow. He did all of post, except for Alex Beard. I really have to mention Alex oh, Beard and lovely. Brian Putnam. Um, lovely scoring. Is, the music is beautiful, yeah. I think. Um, and then Brian Putnam, the great Brian Putnam. He's an old friend of mine. Actually played his brother in Pippin a hundred years ago, and uh, I said, "Can we use one song from your musical, The Toy Store, uh, The Toy Maker?" He's like, "Which one?" And I told him, and he's like, "Yeah, that'd be great." He just wanted me to list it a specific way. <laughs> hey, you can do that. Absolutely. It's not often you get somebody who says, "Hey, yeah, okay, that's great." Yeah, I mean, he and he was very supportive. And then Alex Beard, who usually does bang bang shoot 'em up stuff, mm-hmm. he's like, "Well, this is a little, this is a little different for me." And uh, he's like, "But I want to give it a shot, you know." And that was the thing. I'm like, "Give it a shot. I don't want you to give it a shot. I want you to do it right, man." Um, and he came back with the music, and I'm like, "Wow, it's very Where soft. It's very soft. Yeah. Um, the, the the score and the individual." Needle drops, lyric songs do not overpower um, this story because this is—it's a sweet story. It's a quiet story, and so easily you could have gone, you know, over the top with emotional swells, and you don't have that here. It's soft. Yeah, we, it's soft and subtle. Yeah, we didn't need Travolta in. Uh... Olivia Newton-John at the beach. No, you know, we didn't, no. We didn't need that. I, I didn't think. No, you absolutely did not. So, you know, you get this whole package together. You send it out, film festivals. Now you get a distribution deal. Right. You you have had a learning curve at every step of this process, Jr. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, when John says... John says, well, you know, let this, because John's got a movie opening. Well, it opened last week called The Devil's Stomping Ground. And um, so he was like, well, let's let's try this company, that company, this company, that company, whatever. On a whim, I sent it over to Gravitas, knowing full well they ain't, they ain't calling back. Mm-hmm. Um, checked the email three days later. And McKinsey over at Gravitas, she's like, can we see the whole movie? Because I had just sent him the trailer. Uh-huh. She's like, can we see the whole movie? I'm like, yeah, sure. And I sent it to her. And she's like, we'd love to distribute this for you. I called John up. I'm like, you know, Gravitas says they want to look at it. He's like, don't send it to anyone else. That's it. <laughs> and um, so, I mean, <laughs> Gravitas. I can't tell you how honored we are that Gravitas believes in this thing. And then another one they're going to pick up of John. So, right. No, Gravitas is a wonderful home for little indies like Remember Yesterday, because yeah. they cover. They do some horror. They do some action stuff. They do romantic comedies. They do dramas. They do a little bit of everything in the indie spectrum. Uh, Which but, I think we need. Yes. I mean, I, I think we need like a name like that. That you know, 
we can strive to. Yeah. That's one of my favorite distributors when I'm talking to filmmakers uh, at the festival level and they don't know where to go next with their film. And uh, it's like, well, for your particular film, try Gravitas, hit up Gravitas. Then you've got some others out there. You've got Uncorked. You've got Vertical. Um, Uncorked is another one that picks up a variety of genres within the brand. But yeah, we need we need distributors like that for these indie Absolutely. films. Um, I I think I think because of the media, I might get in trouble for this, but I think because of the media, not in a bad way, but I think we've been programmed that if it's Ryan Gosling and um, I don't know, pick someone, Emma Stone, mm-hmm. um, we have to go see it. We have to go see it. I'm like, okay, well, you know, we can do some stuff over here on the independent side, too, Mm -hmm. just to let you know. And we're not asking you, we're not asking you to, you know, say we're better than anyone else. We just want you to give us a chance. That's all. Just a chance. Yeah. And there are so many. I have found so many indie gems over the decades. That really, and for a lot of filmmakers, they have been stepping stones to still in the indie realm, but with bigger budgets. And they're, right. they're not out scrambling for money because financing a film is not easy. And while there are still filmmakers out there that will max out every credit card they have uh, in order to make a film, it's always better to try and get somebody else's money. Right, right. Um, you know, and when it comes to Remember Yesterday, how challenging was it to come up with financing for this film? Um, it, 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 we, we never even came close to the original budget. Never even close. <laughs> um, I, the first thing I did was uh, I did one of those uh, Indiegogo things. I think we got like I think we raised like twelve thousand or something, just twelve or fourteen thousand dollars. And I asked John if we could start just to start, you know, just to see what it would look like. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Yeah, but we're going to run out of money." And so um, we did. We shot. We shot all the kids' stuff because those kids don't look like that anymore. Like oh, not even close. No, they grow fast. Um, but we shot all the kids' stuff, and we shot the stuff out in front of uh, the theater, out in Thaline Hall, when the flashback with uh, Ginny and John. Mm-hmm. So we shot all that stuff first, and we were out of money. So I had to go out, and I had to go out and find some money. And we we put together a few investors, uh, very small investors, you know, typically about 2500 We got like four or five of them, and then we had one that gave us a little bit more. And so we went and shot, I think we shot three more days, mm-hmm. and we were out of money. And so I went out and raised some more money. And then the last time we did it, Jana actually got involved because Jana saw how important it was to me. So she started this whole dollar campaign, and we got, you know, we got enough to finish shooting. Mm-hmm. Now, post-production all came out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I mean, post-production just came all out of my pocket. Um, but I wanted to get it done. I wanted to see what it was like. All of a sudden, 
I was like Dan Pritzker with Bolden, you know. <laughs> oh, we're going to do it. But I was on season one of Bolden, actually, you know. It's, um, and, and Dan's a really nice guy, too, man. He was so sweet. He sent me Christmas cards for like three years. Really sweet. Um, but, yeah, I just pulled it out of my pocket and said, let's do it. I want to do this. I want to make this. I want to finish this. Right. And then we get to, we get to Gravitas says they're going to pick it up. And Gravitas says, you probably want someone working on PR. Yeah. Now, I'm out of money by this point, right? That's... But um, I called, you know, they gave me a list. And no one really jumped out at me except for Karen. Aww. Karen and she jumped out right away. And I said, okay, I want to give her a call. And I talked to her 15 minutes. And then I went out and... I told the bank, I'm like, I need a note because I have a movie. And so I did. I got a note, and, you know, I'll pay that off eventually. But I think uh, we did the right thing by getting Karen Oberman. She's she's a prince princess. I mean, she's incredible. She's been so kind. I can't talk highly enough about her. Karen and I have many decades together of, yeah. of, of working. Um and uh, no, that's that's something very important that a lot of indie filmmakers don't think about is you need to, to save yourself some money at the festival level, even get a publicist, hire them just for a festival. Or once right. you get a deal, if PR isn't included in your deal, make sure you have some money set aside so that you can, you know, go get a publicist. Um, I will next time. I can guarantee you. But it, it's something that a lot of filmmakers, they never think about. And they'll be at festivals and they can't understand why nobody's, no press have come to their film and aren't looking at their film. And it's, well, guys, did you send anything out to anyone? No. How do we do that? Did you get a publicist? Well, they, they cost frankly, money. Yes, they do. Uh <laughs> frankly, I just learned that. I, you just taught me something. I try. I try. Well, I talked to Karen the other day, and I said, I said, when I finish the next one, would you be willing? She's like, absolutely. Would mm -hmm. you be willing? I'm, absolutely. You just let me know. We'll do it. And so that means a lot. Loyalty is very important to me. I know there's a paycheck, whatever. I don't give a damn about that. What I care about is how she how she concerned herself and cared about the film. That is more important to me. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, the next next time down the street, absolutely. I, I don't even need to call anyone else. I'll just call her. And if Karen says, yes, she'll do it, I guarantee you, yes, she will do it. Uh, and I feel very fortunate. With it. The next one's actually really funny. The next one's about six friends that are lunatics. Um, okay, well, that's a good start right there. <laughs> well, I already wrote it, and we had a read-through of it on Saturday. And everybody was laughing, except for, like, three of us. We're like, wow, they're all laughing at us, because it is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's semi-biographical, -bi and it's with my friends and their actors. And they were like, well, I don't see anything funny. This actually happened. Um, so... <laughs> 
Yes, but that's truth, where we're going next. But you know, truth is stranger and funnier than fiction sometimes. I think so. Well, you know, I've got I, so. I got one last question for you, Jr. Here, because because well, uh, of course, very, this is very this is very exciting for me. This is wonderful. I, I I'm terrified of interviews. By the way, oh, nobody ever has to be terrified of me. Okay. <laughs> no, I, it's like no, because. All I, I just have conversations with you. I write no questions. Karen will tell you this. I have never written a question for an interview. All I do is I watch the film. I have gone through and made notes on the film, you know, done research. And then I just have a conversation. Well, I, 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 I feel very, uh, very honored, you know, in... I really appreciate you treating me so decently. Thank you so much. Oh, well. It just means a lot. My pleasure. But now let me ask you here, now that you have made it through, remember yesterday, everyone can see it tomorrow, starting tomorrow on Valentine's Day. It'll be Mm -hmm. on all the usual digital suspect platforms. Yes. What did you learn about yourself as a filmmaker? as a director and a writer, in making this film that you can take forward into your future projects to get them off the ground and get them shot and out in the marketplace? Well, I mean, the, the, the most simple answer is make sure you get the money. <laughs> but beyond that, I think there has to be, in the, in the indie world, there has to be a tenacity um, even with the folks that are around you, if you don't have that drive, if you don't have that tenacity, if you don't have that, I'm going to get this done, they're not going to, you know, they're just picking up a paycheck at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have that drive, you know you have a story to tell, and hell or high water, you're going to get it told, then you do it. You know, you, you keep chasing. Something's going to happen. If you keep fighting for what you want, it's going to happen. Yep. Um, and and I, think, I think it's a noble cause to be a storyteller. I think it's so noble um, because it's easy to chase a dollar. I ain't getting rich. I know I'm not getting rich. At the end of the day... I had a story to tell. I got more stories. I got five of them to tell. And I'm going to do it. It's a noble cause. It is a noble belief. You know, years ago, actors were, I don't know, they were treated like, I don't know, like almost like property. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, we have the actors in front of us. Let's go ahead and have them do their little dance and move on. Right. Nowadays, it, we admire them. We admire them for saying lines, which is great. It's great. But at the end of the day, those actors have people behind them that are bringing the story to you. And if you don't have that whole circle of people, it's not going to work. That's right. And that whole circle of people centers around one person, whoever that storyteller is. Unless you're the Cohen brothers, because, you know, there's, there's two. two of them. Yeah. But, um, but you have to be, you don't have to be a lion tamer, but you have to have more energy than 
the most energetic 16-year-old on your set. You have to have more energy than that. And if you don't, it ain't going to (laughs) work. Well, here's hoping that you never run out of energy so you can get these other films made. Because I want to see more from you, Jr. Oh, thank you so much. I want to see I want to see more from you. I really love what you've done with Remember Yesterday. It is a wonderful calling card for you as a filmmaker. And it is really it's a sweet, charming film that thank you. People are people are going to enjoy. Especially on Valentine's Day. Well, that was the idea. You know, Gravitas gave us a choice. They said, well, you, you, give, you can go April 16th or you go February 14th. I'm like, we have nothing to do with taxes. The, and the, do you know when you said April 16th, that is the first thing I thought of is no. <laughs> no, because on that day after you've got your taxes done and you find out how much you owe the government, right. you, <laughs> I, all you want to do is go to a bar. Uh, right, Absolutely. But, no, you made the perfect... And John's a film director. He's not an accountant. Yeah, see, you made the perfect choice. JR, this has been a pure delight having you on the show. You must come back again. I would love to. You get no excuses. You must come back again. Even (laughs) if it's, you know, once you start shooting your next film to give a progress report. Oh, I'm happy to do that. Love to do that. It'd be great. But... This has been an absolute joy. I can't thank you enough, Jr. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with me. I, that means more to me than I can, I can really express. My pleasure. My pleasure. And you have a wonderful Valentine's Day tomorrow. You as well. Enjoy the beautiful weather out in California. Eh? You enjoy that wafting breeze and beautiful sun in Wilmington. I will. Thank you so much. And you take care of yourself. You too, JR. Bye-bye. Peace. Bye. And that was JR Rodriguez, writer-director of Remember Yesterday. On all the Digi platforms tomorrow, people. And now we're going to jump back into a galaxy far, far away. And we're going to pick up our interview with Everett Downing and Patrick Harpin talking about My Dad the Bounty Hunter when we broke to bring JR in uh, since he was on whole, live today um, talking about casting, voice casting. And we had just sp- talked about Laz Alonzo and the kids in the film who are just amazing. Priya Ferguson, uh, Jacoby Swan, who play Lisa and Sean. And of course, Leslie Uggams, who plays Grandma. But... You know, now we come into how do you even, as creators, put a voice cast ensemble like this together? So let's take a listen to what Everett and Patrick had to say. Together, because this is an ensemble in the truest sense of the word for the structure of the family, especially Terry, Lisa, and Sean. And then you also introduce Vax later on, who's a very integral part in the fam- in helping define and restructure the family, so to speak. Was it difficult to put this voice ensemble together? I would say our uh, casting director would say yes. <laughs> 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 you know, a lot of, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work, but 
but I, I think that you know, once once you cast everybody, then it's then it's just magic, you know. Mm-hmm. I've got to ask you guys because people love animation, filmmakers love animation, but not too many of them can actually make execute an animated film or an animated series. You might have good story ideas, but they don't translate into animation or vice versa. You like animation, but you can't write to save your life. What is the great appeal about writing for animation for each of you? What is it that speaks to you? Because you're very, very good at it. Oh, I love these. Well, I'm like, <laughs> these are great. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, well, first off, like, you know, Pet and I, we've been storyboarding in, in feature animation for, like, I, I've been doing it for a very long time. And I've read a lot of scripts, in, um, but I'm also, like, trained classically in animation and, um, you know, really versed in, like, you know, Sometimes what we'll works on on the page, like what's what's work that's written, doesn't always work as you're trying to plan it out, like on on board and trying to like get to work. Uh, and for us, I think because of that experience, that like we we kind of know what works because we have we've been guys who have to execute right, like some of these scripts. We kind of know what works and what doesn't visually. I think so. The way we kind of write it. Um, I think it kind of encapsulates. It's like a, it's like a really good shorthand between the two. Mm-hmm. And what about, also, what about for you, Patrick? Yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, for me, I was a I was a frustrated storyboard artist. I got into the industry uh, thinking that oh, I really love story. I love cracking story and break and building it up. And I love that whole process of like. It, it, uh, which was how the old storyboard artists were. Like on The Lion King, they didn't use the script in that movie. That movie is credited to all the story artists because mm-hmm. as a group, they built it. Same thing with Iron, The Iron Giant. And so that's kind of what I was expecting when I came into the industry. And then when I came in, they were like, no, 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 you put your head down, you draw the script. We don't want to hear any of your thoughts. And I was like, and I was like oh no, <laughs> you know, what have I done? And so I started kind of teaching myself screenwriting just on the side. Like, okay, like, because a lot of story people, not all of them, but many of them are writers and just don't know it. They're like, oh, well, I just, it's like, if you write, they're like, oh, I write all the dialogue, but they give me an outline. I'm like, dude, that's writing. Like, yeah. And but a lot of story artists don't know that. So it's almost kind of like, um, I don't know if you compare it to, it's almost like, well, if you're a musician who writes your own song, guess what, buddy? You're a songwriter. And that's kind of what this process was like for me, which is just like, I finally get to like do that. Um, and even our, our story editor, Justin Gordon, he is an ex storyboard artist as well, like us who became a writer. And so we've done, like Ed was saying, we've done, we've been on both sides of that job. Uh, and we have a lot, and we have a lot to prove, you know, and we wanted these to be tight and we didn't want people to go, Oh, this feels like it was written by artists. We want people to be like, wow, this feels great. It feels like it was painted by artists, but written by writers. That's awesome. Again, I just, I'm going to, I want all these frames on my wall. These quotes. <laughs> <laughs> this? this is amazing. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm, my mom, my mom will want a copy of this. <laughs> I'm really curious for you guys. What is the magic of animation for the two of you? What is it that makes animation so magical for you? Um, well, I mean, for me, I think what I really enjoy about it is, like, there's a certain amount of suspension and belief that you kind of get for free, you know what I mean? And a lot of people, like, I think sometimes uh, creators can, can abuse that, but, like, if you, like, come at it from the right angle, um, you can tell stories that can, um, like, people are, like, kind of a little bit more willing to accept just, like, you know, the premise of, but you can also tell these magical stories that can really transport people and, you know, have these, these great metaphors to support, like, amazing, like, some of the amazing ideas and amazing themes that you, you, you come up with the story. So that's what I kind of love about it. Yeah, I would say for me, it's animation is a way to take your ideas that are in your head, that are just bopping around, and you can actually make them real. Like, that's why I learned, that's why I started drawing, because I was like, I want to make stories. This is, this. I can use my own hands and do it, and there it is, and it's alive, and it's exactly the way I saw it in my head. I can just draw that. And so to me, it's like, I love animation, but it's like what I'm, it's almost like I learned this medium because I want to tell stories. That's what's, that's what's driving me um, more than anything. Um, and animation happens to be the way that I know how to, you know, we, we learn to express ourselves, I guess. That, I kind of found that, and I was like, I love this. This is how I'm going to tell these stories. Mm -hmm. With respect to my dad, the bounty hunter, is there is there a character or characters for each of you that you were, were more comfortable with when writing and creating and that speaks closest to your hearts? I mean, for me, I'm, yeah. yeah, you go first. Well, I, I was just saying, like, for me, I mean, the obvious is, like, the family stuff, because, you know, I pull a lot of, a lot of stuff from, like, just, you know, my relationship with, with, with my girls and, and my wife. Um, so that stuff, for, for me, is, like, e you know, easier to write. And then, then there's also, like, you know, some fun roles. Like, there's some characters, I think, they're just sort of, they're, they're just so ridiculous and they're fun to write for. Um, but like mostly the families, like uh, that's enjoyable. And really catching that tone, right? And like walking that line between like you know sentimental, but also like funny and contentious, you know. And Pat, I think I really liked, I really liked writing stuff for uh, Dad and Lisa. Like to like, uh, I wrote the like little like Snow Dad run there, and like that was. That was really fun for me because it was like, I, I want to see kids act. Kids will burn their parents in like funny ways. Like, it's she's not like, hey dad, I want you to know you're a terrible father. It's like, ooh, that's not that's not clever. That's not funny. But it's like the way she does it is like very like mischievous, and mm -hmm. it's like it's doing what it needs to do story wise, but it's also like giving a joke to the audience and like. That kind of stuff is fun for me. I guess I, I like writing everybody, but I would have to say that uh, Blobby and Glorlocks are very close, close to my heart um, because it's, you know, Glorlocks is like very kind of, I don't know, like a lot of my dad and uncles I grew up around, uh, that sort of like funny, boisterous, uh, macho, but ridiculous at the same time. Um, and Blobby, of course, is 
near and dear to my heart. Oh, well, yeah, as much fun as it is talking with you guys, I know that Mark is going to kick me off here in a minute, but I have to ask each of you a favorite moment or scene in, in the series out of these 10 episodes. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm gonna I mean, I'm gonna make you pick I pick mean, among I your mean, children. I have a few favorites, but like you know, I'm I'm kind of a like sappy, sentimental guy. So like, one of my favorites is, is actually that moment when when Max is um, talking to Lisa after the you know the her dad gets shot down, and she's talking about like you know how how bad she feels and like how like she's wondering if she screwed up and if she's wondering if she's like responsible for like what happened to her father and like just that moment like she's got like the cards oh man it gets me every time it's, it's so good um mm -hmm. well yeah, but Ev, that was what i was that was what i was gonna say because that that's the one because uh, i yeah, yeah it, i i wrote that scene and that was that was to add to it like that thing of like telling a kid like hey i know i know that this is like i know that this is your morning right now but like we're still at war like we still our lives still matter and that kind of like bracingly like hey this is not the time for tears <laughs> you know um like that yeah that one i'm like really proud of um also though like i think the uh the moment when dad and lisa see each other after not having seen each other for after 107 mm -hmm. um and uh kai akira directs that episode and just that moment where there's no dialogue and just it's just music between them like that one always always gets my pulls in my heartstrings oh well you pick you picked good ones there guys from start to finish you even give us flashbacks that the animators really capture beautifully with a different palette and a different animation style I mean, beginning to end, this is a fabulous series. Oh, thank you. Like I said, I want season two. I want... Uh, I, you know what? Listen, I stay tuned. That's all we'll say. Well, I'm looking for it. And guys, I can't thank you enough. I hope we get to chat again in the future, be it on a season oh. two of My Dad or another project that you work on. Absolutely. I this this was amazing for us because we're just hearing great things. So we're like, yes, please call us, call us and tell us you love it, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm feeling down, I'll just call you. I'll be like, remind us, <laughs> guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and I will be watching yeah, it again. So See you later. Thank, thank you so much. And that was Everett Downing and Patrick Harpin, creators, co-creators, co-writers, directed some episodes and voiced two fun characters in the series, Krill and Bogdog, talking My Dad the Bounty Hunter, now on Netflix. Um, see it. Family friendly. The kids are going to love it. Adults are going to like it. Um, so that is... All the time today we have today. Of course, we are over. I warned you about that in the beginning because uh, I wanted to be able to finish our My, My Dad the Bounty Hunter interview. Not here next week. It is President's Day. Pam gets the day off because it's holiday payday. 
So we will be back on the 27th of February, two weeks from today. And Ben Epstein will be back with us again. You will remember last about this time last year, he was on the festival circuit with his film, Who Are You People? Well, got distribution. Film is coming out. And Ben is going to be back with us. And uh, he can fill you all in on his distribution journey since the last time he was here. So, until... February 27th, two weeks from now, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.